Okay, I'm sure many of you remember that. That was the first US presidential debate that took place in September of last year. But I don't think anybody really benefited from that whole debate because most of it was just like that. People recognised it was just a bit of a disaster because both the candidates just spoke over the top of each other all the time. And you couldn't really understand or learn what they were saying. Now, I think the second one was a bit better. I think what they did was they switched off the microphone of the person who wasn't supposed to be speaking so they couldn't interrupt and overcome. And also there was a woman who was moderating that, that debate, so that probably was better as well. Of course, Liz. Having order and structure and showing respect to the other person, even if you disagree with what they're saying, is absolutely crucial if we're going to benefit from our interactions, from our conversations. Now, you might expect to see that kind of thing in political debates. Unfortunately, that is quite across the board. We see it in lots of different countries. But we may not expect, expect to see that in church. But that seems to have been the problem in the church in Corinth. When they got together, some people were dominating the service, even to the extent of talking over the top of each other. And so it was just descending into chaos. And that didn't honour God. And so in this last part of his section on spiritual gifts, Paul taught some useful principles on what should happen when we meet together as a church. So that everything is done in a proper and an orderly way. So we're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 26 to verse 40. And Lorna is going to come up and she's going to read for us this morning. Okay, so it's uh, 1 Corinthians 14 verse 26. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn, or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two, or at the most three, should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Or did the word of God originate with you, or are you the only people it has reached? If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. And if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy, 
and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Thank you very much, Lorna. Some people have described the church like a soccer match. 22,000 people desperately in need of of exercise watching 22 players on the pitch who are desperately in need of a rest. What they mean is that church is often a place where people come to, most people come and just sit passively watching while a few people serve the Lord up the front. But that's not what Paul taught church should be like. Instead, he saw church as a community who are committed to active participation. Look at verse 26 again. When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Worship is not a spectator sport. The New Testament doesn't divide us into clergy and laity. Those who are leading and those who are just the congregation. Instead, as we've seen throughout this letter, it pictures us as a body where every part is needed to play an active role. So Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9, You are a chosen people. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people belonging to God. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. And into his wonderful light. If you've been following our our church reading program. We've been reading in the Pentateuch. How God chose Aaron and his sons to be the priests in Israel. They were the few men who were chosen to represent the people before God and then to present their worship to God. The rest of the nation of Israel had to keep their distance. But now, because of what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross, that's all changed. All of us who have put our faith in Jesus are now a kingdom of priests. Each one of us are called to serve God and to bring a sacrifice of praise and worship. So this morning we're all part of God's worship team. We're all part of that kingdom of priests. But we've not just been chosen to serve We've also been equipped to do this. This is what we've been looking at over these last few chapters when Paul has been teaching about spiritual gifts. Remember in chapter 12, Paul said, To each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Every one of us who have trusted in Jesus have been equipped to serve God as he's called us to. None of us are left out. None of us are just here to make up the numbers. The Holy Spirit has given us all gifts to serve. And so Paul here encouraged all of us to be 
actively engaged, actively involved in our times together. To use our spiritual gifts and our experience of God to help all of us to worship the Lord. So those with a gift in worship, they should bring a song that impacts our hearts and that motivates us to praise the Lord. Those with a gift of teaching should bring a word of instruction. Those with a revelation or a tongue or an interpretation of that tongue, they should bring a fresh understanding of God's love or faithfulness or grace or power. Now, of course, verse 26 here is not a a comprehensive list of everything that we should do when we meet together as a church. Paul's not trying to do that. Neither is a comprehensive list of all of the different gifts that God has given. Remember, we were thinking about that earlier in chapter 12, how there's no passage in the Bible that details all the spiritual gifts that God gives his church. There are so many other ways that we can all participate in this church, both publicly, up the front, but also privately, individually, ministering to each other. But the key thing is that God wants his whole church to actively participate in our times together. We've all been called by God to be part of his priesthood. We've all been equipped to serve in his kingdom. So we're all called to respond to the leading of the Spirit in our lives and be involved in our times together. This is not somewhere where you come and sit back and you watch just what's up the front, like a, like a cinema, like a, like a movie theatre where you just sit and you watch. Church is supposed to be a place of active participation where we all are involved in what's going on. But if we're going to do this, We also need to have the right motive as we do it. We need a clear purpose. Look at verse 26 again. Paul said, all of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. Sometimes we can fall into the trap of thinking that church is all about us. Maybe you've even heard people say, or maybe you've said it yourself, Oh, never really got anything out of church this morning. But that's not supposed to be the focus of our times together. What we get out of church this morning. Yes, it's great when we come together and we really get something out of church together. When we are blessed by the singing, when we learn something from the Bible teaching, when we're encouraged by the fellowship, or we're just really impacted by the presence of God. I really do hope and pray that this is a common experience for all of us here when we meet together, that we really get something, that we really are impacted by our time together. But that shouldn't be our first priority as we come through those doors and meet together. We shouldn't be thinking, well, what am I going to get out of this today? Paul taught here that we should come with a different attitude. Not for what we can get out of our time together, but what we can give to our time together. We should come looking for opportunities to serve each other. 
Because that's how we follow in Jesus' footsteps. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus said, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the purpose of each of us singing and sharing and talking is not just for our individual benefit, but it's to benefit others. It must have an other person focus. Each of us, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So we're encouraged here to use our spiritual gifts because it will encourage and build others up in their faith and in their walk with Christ. We're encouraged to share what we've learned from God because it will help someone else to stand in that truth. To share our failures and our doubts because it will help someone else to know that they're not the only one who has those struggles. To share our successes and our joys because it will help someone else to believe that God can do that in their life too. It's also why we're encouraged all of us to sing this morning. We're called to speak to one another with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Not because we can all sing like our worship team. Because we can't. Can we? Maybe you do. Not, Not me. I can make a lot of noise. Which is... I propose something. But we do that because we're called to sing to each other, to encourage each other, to worship God, to trust in the one that we're singing about. So our voices encourage each other in our worship. This is not an individual experience, this is a community experience this morning. So this should be our clear purpose. When we serve in church or share with each other, either publicly, like in our, in our kind of service time together, or privately afterwards or before, you know, in our fellowship time, because that's an important part of church as well. We don't do that to show off, or so we look good, or so we enjoy the limelight, or because we appear really spiritual or knowledgeable. But we do it so we can build each other up. So we can strengthen each other in our faith in Christ and see this body of believers built up. That should always be our clear purpose. But for that to be a reality, we need to have a controlled program. Our worship times together must not be chaotic or confused. It's not a free-for-all where everybody just can talk at once or can compete to be heard. Rather, everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Paul showed this here in this passage by looking at the two kind of controversial roles that Paul was talking about last last week in in a passage we read last week. The gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. And so he applied what he taught in how we should be, serv- we, we should be uh, organizing our church service in a fitting and orderly way. 
So as we saw last week, the gift of tongues is a valuable gift. Paul Rickon emphasised this again when he said in verse 39, Do not forbid speaking in tongues. This gift is a valuable gift because it enables someone to communicate with God more intimately and in a way that's, that's unrestricted by the confines of their own language. So it's a way for them just to be able to communicate directly to God. But the problem with that gift, if we remember from last week, is that it doesn't benefit the church if what the person is saying isn't understood. And so look at verse 27. If, someone, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two, or at the most three should speak, one at a time. And someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. So if our goal is that that gift will benefit the church, then it shouldn't be used by a whole lot of people all at the one time. That should just should never happen in our church gathering. Because that's what Paul, Paul says. Instead, one at a time should speak. And only two or three at the most, I presume because Paul didn't want that one gift to dominate the whole service. And if there is nobody who can interpret it, if there's nobody who can explain what is being said for everybody to understand, then the tongue speaker should keep silent. They should use that gift in their private worship between them and God, but not in church. Because on its own, the gift of tongues doesn't benefit, doesn't build up the church. And then there's a similar order when it comes to prophecy. Remember last week we were thinking about prophecy as a message from the Lord that comes through a member of a church under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and is given to build up the church. So Paul valued this gift. Be eager to prophesy, he says in verse 39. But again, this gift needs to be used in a way that's proper and orderly so that the church is built up. That means there's a limit on how many people can speak. Two or three prophets should speak. Again, the idea, I think, is so that no, that gift doesn't completely dominate the time together. And each of these people with this gift were to be willing to step aside and stop talking if somebody else received a revelation from God. Verse 30, if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. Should be willing. Not, not, they're not grabbing hold of the limelight. They're not demanding to be heard. They're willing to let somebody else speak. I think we can apply this to whatever we're doing as a church together. Whatever gift we're using. God doesn't want us to use our gifts to compete for the limelight. We're not using the gift because we just, we just love a microphone and we love an audience and we just want to grab hold of that opportunity. It's not that purpose at all. Instead, we need to speak considerately. We need to be considerate of others. So that 
everyone, Paul says in verse 31, everyone may be instructed and encouraged. There's that other person focus again. It's not really about the person up the front. It's about can they benefit everyone who's listening. And this kind of controlled program is what honours God. Because it reflects who God is. Look at verse 33. (coughs) Excuse me. God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Some people have this idea that if we were really impacted by the Holy Spirit, then we kind of lose control and then we wouldn't be able to stop ourselves from speaking out. We'd just be kind of taken over. We'd kind of like get carried away by the experience, the excitement and the ecstasy of that moment. But Paul here rejected that idea completely. That is not from God. He said, verse 32, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. Somebody who's speaking from God won't lose control. Because God doesn't take away our ability to control ourselves. In fact, the spirit produces self-control in our lives. It's one of the aspects of the fruit of the spirit. Self-control. So God is not going to work to take that away. So if we're inspired by the Holy Spirit in our services together, it won't descend into chaos or confusion. There will always be a certain order to it because we won't lose control. It's not saying that we have to follow a a, a kind of defined order of service or the same order of service every week. It's not saying that. But there will always be a certain order and dignity to our services together if God is in control. Because that's who God is. But this is also important. Because God wants us to think carefully about what is being said in church. He wants us always to be present and to be considering carefully what is being said. So in verse 29, when prophets speak, Paul says, the others should weigh carefully what is said. In church, when we, when we should always listen when someone claims to share something from God. It doesn't matter who they are doesn't matter what role we have in our church. Those of us who are listening, we should listen carefully. Not just accepting what is being said automatically. Oh, they're saying it, so it must be true. That's never supposed to be the, the attitude. Instead, we should be always testing it to see if it really is from God. This is what Paul told the church in Thessalonica. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. So we need to evaluate carefully when people share to determine whether it's from God or not. Each of us are called to do that. 
And if it is from God, then we need to hold on to it. We need to accept that word of encouragement, respond to that word of of rebuke, uh, or, or obey that word of exhortation, whatever it is. We should hold on to it. But if it's not from God, if it doesn't pass the test, then we should reject it. Doesn't matter who says says it. We should reject it if it doesn't pass the test. If it's not from God. So of course the question is, how do we test it? How do we test to see if what somebody's saying is from God or not? Well, there are, I guess there's lots of questions that we could ask. We could ask, does it glorify God or not? What they're saying. Is it loving or not? Does it build up the church or not? Is it consistent with who Christ is or not? But the ultimate test is whether it conforms to Scripture or not. Look at verse 37. If, anyone, if anybody thinks that he is a prophet or spiritually gifted, let him acknowledge that what I'm writing to you is the Lord's command. The Bible is the final authority on God's word. The Bible should always have the final say. So everything that we, is, that we share together as a church, everything that somebody says, should be measured against the apostolic truth that is contained in the Scriptures. And if it doesn't pass that test, then we should reject it. It doesn't matter how amazing it sounds, how spectacularly it's given, how eloquently it's said. If it doesn't pass the test of Scripture, if it's not consistent with the Word of God, then we need to reject it. Everything that is said in church together, everything that we share, everything we share publicly or privately, should come under the authority of God's Word. That is the test that we should do. That's the test that you should be applying as you're listening to me this morning. This is why we encourage you to bring a Bible or to look on a, on a Bible on your phone or whatever, whichever media you use so that you can see that whether I'm saying is scriptural or not. And if it's not, reject what I'm saying and hold on to what the Bible is saying. That's always the way that we are called to be as a church and individually as Christians. And it seems that this testing of prophecy is the context in which Paul said, talked about the role of women in our church. Women should remain silent in the churches. They're not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. Now, of course, this is a deeply controversial passage. Uh, some Christians have different ideas about what this passage actually means. People who sincerely want to follow God's word, they come to sincerely different views on this. So again, this is one of the areas that we need to be gracious and, and understanding and accept that other Christians might have different views. So some Christians believe that this is Paul silencing all women in all church gatherings. That was kind of the, the approach of the church that I grew up in. 
that women should have no public role in any church service because it says they should remain silent. But my main problem with that view is that it seems to contradict what Paul wrote earlier in this very letter, in chapter 11. If you want to flick over, you can, eh, as I would talk about submitting to God's word. You'll see in verse chapter 11, verse 5. Every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonours her head. Remember, we were talking about how the, Paul was teaching the women in, in Corinth to cover their heads in their in the church services. Well, you can have a look back at that teaching that's on, on the web if you want to understand why Paul was saying that, as, as I, I understand it. But Paul told the women in Corinth to cover their heads when they pray and when they prophesy. Now, you could pray silently, couldn't you? So it doesn't necessarily mean you're standing up the front speaking uh, uh, verbally and, and, and audibly to people around but you can't do that with prophecy. You can't prophesy silently because prophecy is all about declaring God's truth. So Paul here can't be calling women to remain silent all the time in chapter 14 if he's just told the, the women in Corinth to cover their head if they are speaking audibly in the church and praying and prophesying. I don't think Paul would say things that are contradictory in the same letter. Others believe that Paul was simply dealing with a, a cultural situation in the churches of that era. They suggest that the women were disrupting the service through their, their chattering, through their gossiping, through their, they were sitting at the back and just talking to each other. And Paul just was telling them just to keep quiet. Apart from kind of being quite derogatory about women of that era, the problem with that is that in this church there were lots of problems that were caused by men too. And Paul didn't talk, call to them to be quiet as well. So it would be kind of strange for Paul to tell the woman to keep quiet, but not the men, some of them who were causing all sorts of problems. So I think the best understanding comes from the context of these verses. I think that's a, a, always a really good way to interpret Scripture, is always to look at the context. So the context is the testing of prophecy. So it seems to me that Paul was stopping women from declaring the church's decision on whether a given prophecy should be accepted or not. And that would, that's something that the women should be involved in because it would be a rejection of that, that, that order, that God's created order of headship that we saw in chapter 11. So if a woman was to stand up and say, sorry, we're not accepting that, that prophecy from, as if it's from God, it would mean that they were taking authority over the male leadership of the church and possibly also taking authority over the leadership of their husband, if it was their husband who was giving that prophecy. So they would give the appearance that they were not accepting the, the submission of, uh, to, to the leadership of their own husband in their marriages. And I think that's why Paul said that instead of challenging what was said publicly, if they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home. So rather than challenging their husbands in the, in the, the gathered community, they should do, it, do that at home, in the privacy of their own home. Now I know this is a challenging concept. 
So if you have any questions or any problems with that, come and speak to me afterwards. Don't go away feeling really frustrated and annoyed or, or, or anything like that. Please come and have a chat and we'll have a chat about it. But I think it again illustrates that God wants us to follow his plan when we meet together as a church. It might not fit with our culture. That passage doesn't fit with our culture today. It might not even fit with how we feel. It might kind of go against the grain with us. But if we as a church want to honour God when we meet together, we mustn't be following the culture. And we mustn't just be following our feelings. But instead we need to follow God's word. We need to come under the authority of scripture. And accept that what we want to do here is we want to honour God and his design for his people. So God doesn't want us, our times together, to be marked by chaos or competition or confusion. Instead, he wants us to worship him in a proper and orderly way. That means that we will seek to have active church participation where every believer in Jesus will use their spiritual gifts. And will do this with the clear purpose of strengthening and building up the body of Christ. And we'll do this as part of a controlled program that will reflect the order and harmony of God. And we'll follow even the challenging practice of respecting God's design for headship. Because we love Him. And we want to honour Him in everything that we do.